Welcome to Apartment 309 Podcast, the one-sided storytelling podcast where I dive into true crime or the paranormal and tell it to my captive audience boyfriend while he reacts occasionally, basically just recording part of our normal day. I'm Lauren. And I'm Eric. And we live in in Apartment apartment 309. going it's going good <laughs> so uh shapeshifters are real yeah we were just talking before recording about the lizard man incident on the american airlines plane reptilian shapeshifters on these mf in airplanes you know like the <laughs> samuel L. jackson motherfucking snakes on a motherfucking plane Motherfucking lizards on a motherfucking plane. (laughs) Motherfucking reptilian shapeshifters. Okay, so that looked into it a little bit because there's stuff floating around about a guy in a green hoodie that maybe she was drunk. I don't have any proof of any of any of that. Uh, I do know that the photos of the gentleman with the green hoodie, those are old news. Somebody spliced some videos together to get views. Right. So basically, there's the lady on the plane that's freaking out, claiming that. That MFR is not real, whoever she was talking to in her seat. Yep. So uh, a woman was towards the back of this plane and was, you know, everybody was getting boarded. Everybody's putting their bags away. And she starts getting more and more frantic while having a conversation with someone that was sitting in the seat next to her until she starts demanding to be let off the plane. I think she mentioned even having the, the plane grounded. She wanted everybody else off the plane, too. For their own safety. Right. And she was screaming that the gentleman she'd been talking to was not real. Uh, Didn't really give much more of an explanation than that. Seemed pretty frantic. Would not take her eyes off this man. At one point, I think she even said, I don't even care if all my bags get off. I don't care if my stuff gets left behind. Just get me off the plane. That guy's not real. She looked drunk, though. I don't think she looked drunk. She sounded a little drunk. I don't think she sounded drunk. She wasn't slurring. She wasn't speaking slowly. No, but she was doing that kind of White Valley girl, like, that motherfucker is not real. Like, she kind of had that little buzzy sound to her. You might as well have hiccuped in there to give your example. I don't think that she was seemed intoxicated at all. Well, my favorite part of this whole thing is how it's all over the internet and how there's, like, a lot of people, like, simping for her. It's so hilarious to watch, like all the uh, people posting that they didn't know they had a type until she came into Ew. their lives. Just falling in love with crazy <sighs> reptile lady. I didn't hear her say anything about a reptile either. I didn't know anything that. about that. She didn't. I don't think she said anything about a reptile. I found another uh, a TikToker that goes by the handle at can't keep a TikTok, and he claims to be a passenger from the plane. He claims to have been sitting about three rows behind where this woman and this man, Lizard, were sitting. He said, you know, it's one of those things where he wasn't solely paying attention to it. It's it's when life is happening, you don't know what to pay attention to until you're trying to remember an incident. He just remembers this guy did have a hoodie on. He remembers her talking to him as everybody's getting settled in their seats. And he started to pay a little bit closer attention as she started to get more upset. Other passengers were paying more attention to it as well. He's not quite sure what the conversation was about as she was the only one speaking. 
He says they were making direct eye contact. They're sitting in seats directly next to each other on a plane that's a couple inches away. And the man never said anything. He never opened his mouth. But she was having a conversation with this man as if he was replying. But he would just stare at her as it was happening. Now, his good example of somebody being drunk and you having an interaction, an uncomfortable interaction with them, if somebody is starting to get aggressive with you in close proximity and is clearly under the influence, they're now potentially a threat to you. And you're going to try to either calm the situation down, you're going to join the situation and aggravate it, or you're going to get somebody else involved to help calm the situation down and make it stop. This man never tried to stop her, never argued back with her. He never said anything to her and he never interacted with anybody else in the area. In fact, he didn't really even move when it was happening. So she's getting upset and flustered and gets out of her seat after the flight attendant comes up. The rest you can watch on video. But not once did the guy try to get her to stop. And when the flight attendant asked him if he was okay, he never acknowledged it. I mean, he did so in, in the nod of his head, and that was it. A three-hour flight, and he said nothing. That's weird. And then the weirdest part, he turned around and kind of scanned the plane. So, you know, when you lift your head and you kind of scan the plane above the seats? Right. He scanned the plane, turned and looked at at can't keep a TikTok, made eye contact with him, and then winked at him. And he said it wasn't something that he picked up on in the moment. It was when he was thinking back about it because it went viral. And he realized that guy didn't blink by going up and down with his eyelids. He blinked vertically. Like right, to the side like a lizard. Like a lizard. Lizard people. I, I went into detail on that because you were arguing with me because <laughs> you were thinking that she was drunk. And I, I really, I don't know. I don't think she was. The lady saw a reptile probably. I don't know. If it's if people were like, he wasn't moving or saying anything, maybe she was like, he literally is not real. He is like a doll that just is made to look like a man sitting in that chair. But she w had been sitting there for a couple of minutes having a full conversation with him. And replying back and forth. Well, that MFR is not real. All I'm saying, I don't think she was drunk. <laughs> I don't think she was on anything. She looked a little. I, I watched it a couple of times. She looked a little. It just looks like she had a couple of drinks. She doesn't look hammered, falling over, obviously. But she just looks a little out of it. To me, it looks like a woman who's under uh, duress, who's in defense mode, who feels threatened. I see. Okay. And we get called a drunk a lot when we get to that point. It's just her, the way her face is, it's just, she just looks a little inebriated. I'm not saying because she's Stone -faced? like- Stone-faced? Out of control. No, she her face just kind of a little like- Stone-faced and threatened? She doesn't look stone-faced to me. She looks a little, little flowy, a little rocking- well, that's just what I get. I mean, I have no proof of that. Disagree. I have no proof either way, and neither do you. No, I do not have any proof either way. Nope. But Agree to it, disagree. I yeah. think she was sober. Eric thinks she was drunk. Why don't you guys write in and tell us what you think? Go check it out. Again, his TikTok handle is at can't keep a TikTok. I don't have TikTok. I found it on a news article where you can still view the video. Maybe we'll put a 
link up to the article? I don't know yet. But you can also write us at apartment309podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts. And we just uh, started YouTube. So it's not a video of us yet, but we'll get there eventually. You can find us on YouTube as well. Apartment 309 Podcast, no spaces. Check us out. Let us know. Do you think he was a lizard or do you think she was drunk? Or both? Or both. Or maybe she's (laughs) a little schizo. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just hey, these are all potential realities. She could be she could be suffering from a mental illness like schizophrenia. Yeah. That we have we have to face all of the potential realities. We do. I don't think you can just defer to she saw a lizard guy. I think she saw a lizard guy. She might have seen a lizard guy. And then they're confirmed real. So that happened this week. We confirmed lizard alien p- shape shifting people are real. Confirmed. Allegedly. It was allegedly confirmed. It was allegedly discussed, and we can allegedly neither confirm nor confirm. You know the one that happened not too long ago? We talked about it. The crash in the backyard. Oh, big yeah. Big 10-feet creatures or whatever. Oh, that a crash. Yeah. They're coming. Las Vegas. Now they're making themselves more aware. There was actually a a talk from, released by the government. God, I don't know anything about it. There was a 60-minute panel with uh, discussions about extraterrestrial life forms. Stephen Greer, he's an independent researcher as far as I understand. Oh, is that who that was? Yes. Okay. Stephen Greer, go look it up. He just released a thing. He's got crazy movies. He he has one movie. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, I, I know I watched it and I was telling you about it. It's a little weird. Not sure if I'm really buying into it, but he... What's it called? I don't remember what it's called. You gotta know what it's called. But it's Stephen Greer, and I watched a documentary on Amazon, and it's essentially him, and he's gotten together with all these people, and they've kind of realized that they can at will summon UFOs to have sightings, like mass sightings, that they can typically get on camera, and they do it telepathically. They communicate with aliens telepathically, and then on they record these sessions, and they can basically just like manifest UFO sightings. Okay, so are they manifesting other life forms in extraterrestrial vehicles, or are they manifesting energy on Earth of Earth? I'm not sure if they have conclusive decision on that, but what they're saying is that whatever it is, they're telepathically calling on it. Okay, because they confirmed astral projection is real, so I'm assuming that, you know, extends to being able to manifest and warp, you know, energy around you at will. Yeah, so the so idea... if that's related. The, their idea is that they telepathically give out their coordinates. Huh. So really, they're just putting out their location. So it would, I think, lend to their belief that it is um, intelligent beings that are also telepathic, and know how to find coordinates. So, and then they get these sessions on film, and then they're like, oh, look, and then they, like, record a bunch of stuff. And it's a group of people that have been doing it for a long time, I guess. Interesting. Yeah. So, Stephen Greer, he's got some crazy, and then he's got a different documentary about, on the same, on Amazon as well, about the black projects and UFO research. What do you mean, black projects? Black Projects, I think this is what his documentary was about, unless I'm confusing it with another one, but it was still good and along the same lines. Black Projects that are ran essentially by intelligence agencies that the, what we would call the surface government, which would be, you know, the executive and 
the three branches. They are not privy to what's essentially the fourth branch of government, which is led militarily by intelligence agencies that use a lot of federal funding. They just siphon a ton of money. They keep presidents out of the loop. Like six and a half billion dollars? Yeah, basically, something like that. And that they he makes the argument that this is around the time that the Black Projects really got out of control is when we started seeing a lot of fuddy-duddy business with our economic system and a lot of money just being poured into secretive projects that the government's not completely open about. And he kind of demonstrates that, you know, it corroborates a bit. Causation, or uh, I'm sorry, correlation does not equal causation, but that's kind of around the same time when these black projects opened up and then they just started siphoning all kinds of money into projects that can't ask where it's going, you can't get details. It's just something that the intelligence agencies are put in the name of like things like Homeland Security, defense spending. Hmm. Ugh, God. Yep. So there's like a whole miniature economy of, not miniature, a basically a, parallel economy. Ours is miniature. That is the industrial war machine. Wow. And space UFO machine. That's depressing to think about. But we still get to be happy. Yep. I don't know where I was going with that. We can watch TikToks. I don't watch TikToks. We can still talk about crazy. We can talk about the ship going down and have fun with it. Yes. Tell jokes. <laughs> well, we're going to be like the band on the Titanic that just kept playing until right. the very, very end. Yeah, exactly. You got to. Yeah. God, you can't even joke about the Titanic anymore. Oh, man. Yeah, too soon. Too soon. God. Anyway. Have well, some class about you. If I'd had first class about me, I wouldn't be in the band. They were in first class and they still went down. Hey, yo. They had class. <laughs> All the way down. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of good that did you. Right. So what do you got for us? For me. UFOs, baby. We're oh, just going to we keep go. talking aliens here. Wow, okay. I know. Nice lead up. Extraterrestrial life forms. Can't get away from them even on a plane. Hey. Lizards on a plane, motherfucker. Okay, I'm done. Sorry. <laughs> He's got these motherfucking aliens on this motherfucking plane. <laughs> okay. Well, today's story actually takes place in Canada. It was inspired by the aunt and uncle going up to Nova Scotia. Oh, Canada, eh? Nova Scotia. Hey. That was a joke. Oh. From last episode. Oh, I see. I don't get Canadian humor. Oh, my God. Okay. So we're going out to the Canadian province of Nova Scotia. For those of you that don't know, that is on the eastern side. It is a grouping of islands that we're talking about. And it's actually, it's one of the most well-documented UFO incidences to this day. Well, that we have the most access to as civilians. There are written and recorded witness accounts from civilians. There's written accounts from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which are otherwise known as the RCMP, the Canadian Coast Guard, and the Canadian military, including both Naval and Air Force involvement in it. It's been investigated by both the U.S. and Canada. They had groups working together. The U.S. had the Condon Committee, and the Canadian military stayed with it as well. There's some classified documents, and there's some declassified documents, and there's some documents that got accidentally misplaced and were found with little notes on them. So everyone reported the same thing on this paperwork, 
and the paperwork is there from the right people to back up what happened. They all saw it from their own vantage points, so each one describes it a little bit differently. But essentially what happened is at 11.20 p.m. on October 4th of 1967, people reported a large yellow light in the sky above Shag Harbor. It was flying low over the waters of the harbor before disappearing below the surface of the water. And I'm going to give you a couple of accounts from civilian witnesses as well as some officials who watched this portion of the event occur. So the light in the sky when it went into the water. Are you even real? No, this <laughs> MFR is not real. You held so still. I looked up and you were just staring at me. <laughs> I expected there to be more. I expect, expected you to keep going. Ah, okay. Yes. Oh. Right now. Cool. All right. There was a family that was sat on their front porch in, I think it's called Mahone Bay. It's 107 miles or 172 kilometers north of Shag Harbor. Most of these are just following up the coast. The Shag Harbor is on the southern tip of Nova Scotia on this island, and we're just going up it. So Mahone Bay, 107 miles north of Shag Harbor. They are sitting on their front porch, and they witness a large object flying above the horizon to the southwest of them. They wrote a letter to the Royal Canadian Air Force Greenwood Base the commander, asking what the object was as they had never seen anything like it. So they wrote him a letter. They're sitting on the porch, see it happen, write him a letter. They're like, what's going on, my guy? Another witness was Captain Leo Howard Mercy. He was watching his Decca radar on his fishing vessel when he spotted four stationary blips. Looking out of the windows, he was able to see the dots in a rectangular formation about 17 miles or 28 kilometers lit up in the sky. Another witness, Captain Leo Howard Mercy, was watching the DECA radar on his fishing vessel when he spotted four stationary blips. He looks out the windows of his ship, and he was able to see the dots in a rectangular formation about 17 miles or 28 kilometers away, lit up in the sky. His crew of 20 all came out on deck to watch the lights to the northeast of their location. The captain radioed Halifax to let them know what was going on, only to be asked to just write up a report after returning to port. <laughs> that sounded weird. He was asked to write a report after returning to port. <laughs> they never gave him an answer. They, they didn't respond. They were just like, write it up when you get back and file it. So at 7.15 p.m., there was a commercial airliner, Air Canada Flight 305, flying overhead on its way to Toronto. So the pilots look out the windshield, and they see the light, and they see that it's following them. It's keeping parallel to them, okay. just a few miles in between their plane and the light. They noted that there was a trail of smaller but similar lights following behind the largest one, which was in the front. Four minutes later, they both watch as there's an explosion next to the big one. They didn't hear anything because the explosion was silent, and then it's followed by a second silent explosion that emitted a blue cloud. What? Yeah, so now there's a blue cloud around the light. It's not even like it was trailing behind it. It stayed with it. Oh, wow. Halifax is located about 194 miles or 312 kilometers north of Shag Harbor. 
It had numerous reports from concerned citizens calling in to report multiple glowing objects in the skies above Halifax around 10 p.m. By 11.20 p.m., at least 11 witnesses reported seeing one of the lights disappear below the water. It appeared like it was a crash, as the light started acting slightly different right before it went below the surface, almost like it was losing control a little bit. It was really, really low to the water, like 900 feet above the water, whereas they had been much higher before and seemed much more controlled. And then, boof, it goes below the surface. Now, it continued to travel forward. They were watching the light go under the water because the waters of Shag Harbor are pretty shallow, so it didn't really have far down to go. And from behind it, it was leaving a trail of a thick, yellowish-whitish foam. After just a few minutes, witnesses claimed that the light just stopped. It wasn't like it turned off. It wasn't like it disappeared. It wasn't like it went away or went deeper. It was like it just ceased to be there is the best way they could describe it. They didn't really have words to describe what they were looking at. So without blinking off, without diving deeper, it just disappears. And there's also quite a few people that didn't see anything But instead, they heard a loud whistling sound described like a boom, then a whoosh, and an exceptionally loud bang. Lori Wickens made the first report of the crash. He and four of his friends were leaving a dance when they saw the light in the sky. They're all piled into one car, driving home. They see the light. They assume it's a plane. There's a couple of military bases on the island. They go up to a better vantage point to look down on the harbor and watch this light, and that's when they see it go under the water. So Lori gets over to a phone, because it's 1967, it's not like he had a cell phone with him. He gets to a phone, he contacts the RCMP in Barrington Passage, located about six miles or nine and a half kilometers up the coast from Shag Harbor, to report a possible plane crash. He and his friends had moved to the vantage point above the harbor, and they said that when the light started to kind of lose control, it began blinking and flashing before it dropped below into the waters, and they too saw the foam spewing out from behind it. So the local RCMP sends a few officers out, and they're out in the harbor within 15 minutes. They get over to an Irish moss processing plant, which was interesting. I had no idea. So yeah, there's, it's it's a processing plant. It's um an industrial area. Where they process really moss. Moss. Okay. There, that used to be a job. That's why they find so many people in peat bogs. What do they process moss into? I don't know. People buy moss and use moss. Oh. It can filter water. It's good to have in your um oh, okay. your yards instead. It's decorative. I don't know what else they use moss for. I'm assuming some kind of a flammable thing or um uh, they used to use it for what do you call it insulation oh i don't know what they were processing moss for but there's a lot of uses for moss that people just interesting forget. okay yeah anyway okay so they show up within 15 minutes of being summoned they also witness the ship disappear then they call for aid it's a small place it's a small town they call a couple of the local fishermen you know, wake them up, get out of bed. We need you and your boats out here. We think we have some people in the water. Within 30 minutes, uh, several local fishermen come out to help with the rescue mission for any survivors that might still be there. They still believed it to be a possible downed aircraft. 
Multiple boats in the area come out to aid. They they drive up to this foamy substance, and every single one of them described it as being much thicker and much denser than any seafoam they've ever seen. And these aren't just, hey, I fish on the weekends sometimes. This is what they do. This is what they grew up doing. This is what they know. They they live on the water. They know the water. Sure. And they have never seen it before. The trail is about a half a mile long, and it smells richly of sulfur, and it's not dissipating. They're trying to drive through this. They're having to, like, scoop through this sulfuric foam. And it took an hour before the foam started to itself separate and kind of, like, float away. But it wasn't really dissipating into the water like you would expect so the rcc or rescue coordination center starts working on contacting the coast guard about any possible missing boats there's none that are reported in the area the air force and airport were both contacted about missing planes military commercial or civilian none are reported so there's no missing crafts there's no missing people and there's still something in the water The Royal Canadian Air Force takes an interest to this, so upon further investigation, they decide, hey, we're going to go ahead and label this a UFO investigation. We've got a whole department dedicated to it. We're going to take this case from you guys. So in the 1950s, they had two projects that they worked on called Project Magnet and Project Second Story. And those concluded that UFOs were just a farce and they were not backed by science which fed into the idea that UFOs were considered a joke. So in the 60s, if you're talking about UFOs, if you're talking about little green aliens, people look at you like you are a crazy person. Right, yeah, it wasn't the best thing for your career. No, you're a nutter. You, I mean, you actually could be thrown in the loony bin for a while until they figure out if you're being serious or not because normal people wouldn't think that. And this is being backed by governments across the world even though they have these research facilities for UFOs. Right. So this UFO division starts their investigation, boots on the ground. They send divers down to Shag Harbor to recover any wreckage within two days of the wreck. The harbor waters are shallow, like I said, and they have very strong tides. Civilians are able to watch from the shore and witness the divers bring up large, jagged metal structures. When asked what they were, the divers simply said that the metal is used to help mark a search grid for them at the bottom of the harbor and keep them in line so that they're not double searching or missing areas. Witnesses that are watching this are like, there's no way. There is no way how big these these pieces were and where they were pulling them up from. They said there's no way that those would be used for that, but none of us are the experts here. Hmm. Odd. So a gentleman by the name of Ray McLeod, he's a local reporter. He took an incredible interest in the Shag Harbor incident. He called local authorities. He called his connections. He's asking for updates regularly. He's standing on the shoreline with everybody else watching as well as they pull these metal shards up. They offered him updates, they being the the local yokels, to publish and help keep the the civilians in the loop about what was going on. However, after they pull those shards up out from below, the Navy stops answering any of his questions, and he gets completely cut off 
of uh, the information input from the locals, and he's not able to share any of that anymore. They just stopped answering his calls. Oh, well, wow. That's weird. Yeah. So that's within, what, 72 hours of this happening. They go from keeping him in the loop about everything to just cut off. No contact. No comment. You know too much. Yep. Or something's changed, the plan has changed. Right. Kind of thing. So an hour before the light went down in Shag Harbor, there was a young man named Wilfred Eisner who was hanging out with his friends near Mason's Beach. It's 94 miles northeast of Shag Harbor, or 151 kilometers. They were on the shore. They're burning an old boat because it's 1967 and people just did stuff like that. They just burned boats? Yeah, they went out on the shore and they just decided to burn an old boat. That sounds like fun. I mean, and he fancies himself a photographer, so he brought his camera out. And I got to say, that would probably make for some killer pictures. Yeah, a burning boat. Yeah, a burning boat, like your friends dancing like hooligans around it. Like somebody brings a six pack and everybody's just like vibing. Yeah, have a good old bonfire, but with a boat. Boat fire. That's right. Yeah, boy. Bond boat. No. Oh, no? <laughs> I I mean, it sounds like fun. Whenever we it go does. camping with our friends, like everybody gets excited about the fire and we're like moths to the flame. Yeah, then everybody just sits around the fire. Everybody loves fire. Yeah, right? They stop doing what they were doing and they come join. Yes. <laughs> and we all just watch it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, apparently, Wilfred gets distracted because he he looks up and his buddies and him, they all see multiple lights hovering above. They're all perfectly still. They're perfectly silent. And it was almost like they were just quietly observing them from a distance. They held still for so long that Eisner decided to take a long exposure photo. So what he did, he did is he actually propped up his camera on a large rock and then held down the shutter button with another rock, and he held it there for five minutes. So the camera's not moving, and the light's not moving. And when the photo and the slide were developed, it showed a, a distinct light above the waters. There's no blur around the edges. There's no blur trail, which implies that both the camera and the object were perfectly still for that five-minute duration. It was in a location where there was no man-made lights, and it was not small enough to be a star. Now, it's not possible, even if it was a helicopter, for it to have held perfectly still for five minutes. It's right. Just, it's not possible. It would have blurred. Right. So there's really no explanation for what that light is unless he put it there. Or, or aliens. Or aliens. Aliens. Probably aliens. Dun, 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 ancient aliens dun, guy. Cue ancient alien meme. Oh, I was going to X-Files too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but the hair. Aliens. Aliens. (laughs) So now we have two lights with smaller lights being seen around them. One near Shack Harbor, one near the Barrington radar station up the coast. There has been speculation on whether UFOs can be picked up on radar, like if you can even detect them on that. But a former staffer from the radar station spoke up about how everyone in the station knew about the radar picking up on the two unidentified flying objects and were actively discussing it while this incident was occurring. When the first UFO went down in Shag Harbor, it's alleged that the military knew that the light had actually traveled. So it didn't, even though it went out, it had moved. It didn't stay where it went out. It traveled 
under the water, northeast up the coast towards Government Point Canadian Forces Stations. Wait, I don't know how to say this. Government Point Canadian Forces Station Shelburne. At this base, they had sonar microphones under the water as a form of submarine detection, as well as some magnetic detectors. And they detected not just the apparently damaged UFO, but another UFO that went under in the same area. And this one went under intentionally. Didn't leave spewing foam, wasn't acting erratic. Now, it came to rest very close to the first one. So while the public is being given that huge diving display down in Shag Harbor with the shards of metal and yada yada being, you know, spoon-fed answers without ever having an answer. Right. The Navy is sending their elite divers from their top secret base, the government point base, on a top secret mission. Some of these divers left their records of what they witnessed in a group of documents. You can access these documents in Records Group 77. So it's a a grouping of documents from civilian, military, and local police reports all put together, and it's been preserved by the National Research Council. In the documents, they discuss diving down and seeing an indescribable metallic object. They advised that there were two down there, that they still had activity, and seemed to be working together to repair the first one. But they didn't really have a better way to describe what they were witnessing. And they're being told by their superiors that it's just a new form of technology from the enemy. And the guys that were going down there were not new at this. This isn't their first time diving. They're like, that's not the enemy. That's, that's not anything we have ever seen before. And we have no idea what they're doing. There's just, there's still activity. So they spend two days observing this interaction that they're having at the bottom without disrupting what's going on. And that's when they pick up a Russian ship coming in hot. So Canada has an active rule in place that non-Canadian forces would be considered a threat if they came within uh, 12 miles of land. And Russia blows past this invisible boundary line, making a beeline for the downed UFOs. What? They're ignoring the calls, the radio calls. They're ignoring the warnings. They're just booking it over to where these UFOs hit the water. So Canada's screaming at them to hold their horses. Russia's ignoring them and blasting off. And all of a sudden, both of the UFOs are just alive with activity. They both light up. They both click into gear, like start your engines off to the races, jet out of the water, back into the sky. Just boom, gone. They're like, screw that. So I don't know what happened between Canada and the Russian speedboat, but clearly the UFOs knew that Russia was on its way and they were like, nope, we're out. You're fine. Put a Band-Aid on it. Make a couple of welds. Like, let's go. We're out of here. That's weird. Yeah, again, don't know what happened for cleanup on that front, but the UFOs were gone, and that that was that. Now, all of this information was put together ever so kindly by Chris Stiles, and he was actually there as a child in Shag Harbor, and he witnessed the event himself, and he described this cold fear 
almost like he was being hunted. And he described it as uh, being frozen with fear, with the feeling that it could pounce at any minute. So he he locked his eyes onto the light and he didn't break contact with it until it disappeared under the waters. And it, I mean, that stuck with him. So he has spent his lifetime trying to uncover the truth about what happened, research these documents, uh, make sure everything is compiled into one place. He's gotten friends involved. He's, he's built his life around doing this. And I truly hope that someday, and someday soon, with all of these alien talks and things seeming to the man coming out from behind the curtain a little bit, that he's given a little bit of validation and that he finds the answer he's looking for. Were those aliens? Yeah, that's crazy. I don't yeah. know. It's uh, it's interesting that it left that like thick stuff in the water because uh, I don't know that that kind of sounds like a you know like a flare, like how a uh, an airplane now will drop a flare if they're being followed and it kind of throws off the systems that track it. For example, missiles. Mm-hmm. If there's a tracking missile on an aircraft, their thing is to drop flares so it goes towards that. You know, like a distraction effort, like a squirrel letting go of its tail. Like, because a bunch of people were looking. Yeah, because, you know, a squirrel will let go of its tail. Certain types of squirrels, their, squir- their tail will pop off. I had no idea. I knew lizards did that. And I was thinking about octopi when they squirt ink. Yeah, I think it, I think it's a certain type of squirrel. A squirrel I don't... is just going to pinch off its tail and be like, ha ha. Yeah, they can drop their tails. <laughs> Not all squirrels, but to do it so, like, in case they're being chased or hunted, they'll. Like a dog or something will go after the tail. You hope, because if not, you got one. Right. Well, it grows back. Yeah, but in that moment, is it going to grow back in 0.5 seconds? No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you better hope it's distracted. (sighs) But yeah, it's like, oh, look at me, the foam trail while it speeds away to another spot. Right. Yeah, I like (laughs) stories like that that have more than one witness. You said that somebody wrote a letter yeah, so a family actually wrote a letter. Seems like a strange reaction to like seeing lights in the sky. No, I mean, it's 1967. You still trust the government. You, I mean, it's, it's what, post-war time, barely. There might have been another war going on. It's small town. You write letters to the, I mean, they wrote a letter to the commander of the Greenwood base. Dear Canada, what gives? Dear Mr. Commander Man. What's that? People had this general consensus that if there, if it was something they needed to be worried about, they would be told. And they just kind of trusted whatever was told to them, except Chris Stiles, who was like, screw this. What happened? And what did you say that, they, that the official story was? Um, shoot. There were a couple of things that came out right around that time. And I think they just kind of rode the tailcoats of that, like a graphic novel came out. And it seemed that everybody kind of agreed that if they weren't there, nothing happened. It was just lights in the sky. It was nothing. Maybe even a mass hallucination. I think it was one of the excuses that was given. And everybody that was there and did see it agreed they saw something. They, They saw something and it was nothing they'd ever seen before. And if the military wants to call it a downed plane or a downed ship, do you. But I know what I saw, and that's not what I saw. What are you going to do, eh? What are you going to do? They don't like Russians, apparently. Or maybe Russians don't like them. There's a reason that they had the, the radars set up in the water. 
Well, I mean, the UFOs didn't like the Russians. Oh, yeah. The UFOs wanted nothing to do with that. Interesting. Absolutely nothing. Makes you think there's some competition going on between governments and what they know. And Does it make, make you sense. think that? Or is it that does, just yeah. fact? Well, I mean, it makes you figure. I have never seen any paperwork on it. <laughs> I'm just saying it sounds plausible. Yeah. Nobody knows anything for sure. Nothing is real. Yeah, and you can't trust Canadians. <laughs> Why can't you trust Canadians? You ever met a Canadian? I don't think so. Well, then you would know what I was talking about. No, they're good. They're good people. The few Canadians I've met are good people. Have you ever been to Canada? I've never been to Canada. I want to go to Canada. And go see the UFO location? Maybe. Maybe we'll go one day and then tell you guys about it. There's we'll a make lot a of whole crazy, episode on it. crazy serial killers. We could drive up through it and go to Alaska. I like it. Let's do it. See if we go see some nights, lights in the sky. We could take my Prius. Yeah. We'll go light spotting. The lights in the sky will be a tow truck. But we're not going to fly. We're going to drive because we're not getting stuck on a lizards on a plane situation. <laughs> right? We're running out of options. I know. We're going to have to walk. <laughs> Got the motherfucking lizards on the motherfucking plane. We can do that. We can walk. Yeah. We're going to walk. Hey, we could force Gump it up there. That's right. Yeah. That'll be good. Yeah. Well, that was all I had for you today. That was exciting. That was a good story. I like those that have multiple witnesses and there's a lot of a lot of different angles. Those I like. Those are the ones that are more plausible. Yes, where it's not a ship disappearing and reappearing with no no witnesses. I had names for you. I had ranks for you. I had locations for you. <laughs> there we go. This is this is the the style that I want. Feeling feeling pretty good about it. I want witnesses. I want world peace. All right. Well, if until then. Until then, what you can do is you can just smile at people. You can be kind to people. You can follow or subscribe. You can comment. Eric thinks she was drunk. I don't think she was drunk. I think she was stone cold sober and threatened. Yeah, well, time will tell. We'll ne- Actually, we'll never know. We will never know. So. We might. What if when you die, you just know everything? And it's like, that was so trivial, and I lost sleep over that. I think there's some reality to that. Yeah. I think there's some truth to that. Probably. So everything would seem trivial if you knew everything. Yes. Anyway, so go ahead, like, and subscribe. Follow us. You can write in at apartment309podcast at gmail.com. If you've seen reptile people, if you've seen UFOs, if you've got a juicy story for us, if you're in Nova Scotia and you are still struggling to get out of the foamy thick water, we want to hear from you. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining us tonight in apartment <laughs> 309. Uh, we just did our whole spiel. Please hit us up. We'd love to talk to some people. It feels like I'm just talking to Eric and he Follow, like, is subscribe. so boring sometimes. I'm not. I don't think he's real. I'm going to go scream down the hallway that I don't think you're real because you were just sitting there staring at me. That mf'er is not real. <sighs> well, I was intrigued. Anyway, we love you guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for being here. Thanks. And we hope you join myself. <laughs> I was paused for you. You're Lauren. <laughs> Lauren. And Eric. Next time. In, in apartment, apartment 309. 309.